episode of Crab Cakes and Football. We are recording this episode on Thursday evening, August 27th. And just before we came to record, the Ravens just released a fairly profound statement from a professional sports team. The statement is, with yet another example of racial discrimination with the shooting of Jacob Blake and the unlawful abuse of peaceful protesters, We must unify as a society. It is imperative that all people, regardless of race, religion, creed, or belief, come together to say enough is enough. This is bigger than sports. Racism is embedded in the fabric of our nation's foundation and is a blemish on our country's history. If we are to change course and make our world a better place, we must face this problem head on and act now to enact and act now to enact positive change. It is time to accept accountability and acknowledge the ramifications of slavery and racial injustice. Though we cannot right all the wrongs of our country's history, we can arrest and charge the police officers responsible for Breonna Taylor's killing and the shooting of Jacob Blake, demand that Senator Mitch McConnell bring the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act of 2020 to the Senate floor for vote, and qualified immunity, require body cameras, ban chokeholds and no-knock warrants, hold police accountable in court, establish a framework to prohibit racial profiling at federal, state, and local levels, support state and federally mandated CALEA accreditation and national standards of care in policing. Encourage everyone to engage in the political process by registering to vote on both the local and national level. Demand prison sentencing reform that is fair and equitable. And encourage every citizen to act with respect and compliance when engaging with the police. If you feel there has been an abuse of power, we encourage you to contact your police department's internal affairs unit. For Baltimore City, dial 410-396-2300. We will use our platform to drive change now, not just for our generation, but for the generations that follow, for our sons and daughters, and for their children. Let's just say that is a very profound statement, not just for anyone to make, but certainly for a professional sports team to release a statement quite like that. TK, your thoughts? You know, I've never seen a statement like this, you know, regardless of, you know, professional sports team or not any kind of organization, maybe outside of Ben and Jerry's, you know, they've released some pretty strong statements as well. And if you haven't seen those, those are pretty good. But I think the Ravens here did something that uh, addresses one of the key criticisms, I feel, of the uh Black Lives Matter movement in which uh, a lot of people just ask, like, all right, what do you want? Like, you know, yesterday the NBA um, players went on a strike and, and, you know, have announced that they're back now, but they went on a strike. And and today, actually, as as we speak, baseball games are being canceled across the nation, Mm -hmm. including the Orioles and the Rays. Right. So then, you know, one of the one of the questions is like, okay, well, what do you want? You know, you know, it's almost four years to the day. The first time Colin Kaepernick uh, did his first kneel, you know, in public at a game, mm-hmm. and the question was like, "All right, well, what do you want?" And and 
you know, it, it's easy to have an answer that says like, all right, you know, end racism, you know, don't be racist anymore. But, you know, it's obviously a much, much more complex um, answer than that. I feel here that the Ravens have addressed the what do you want in at least a short term um, A lot of actionable here. statements. Exactly. They have put together actionable items. And they say like, hey, you're, you're asking us what we want to happen in the short term. Well, yeah arrest the cops that killed Breonna Taylor and shot Jacob Blake, you know, and they've gone on with this list of very, very clear actionable items that address that criticism. And, you know, I'm, I'm not a a black person, so I, I don't mean to speak on behalf of black people or, you know, I don't mean to do that, but this is a really, really strong statement. You know, I hope that it's something that they got input from some of the players on and some of their feelings, but it really, really strongly addresses the main criticism. What do you want? Well, yeah, here is exactly what we want to happen. And this statement is is amazing to see. And, you know, I'm kind of still processing it because we just – started recording about half an hour, about an hour after it's been released. And uh, it, this is an amazing statement by the organization. This is, this is awesome. And, you know, if you're, if you're sitting here listening and kind of rolling your eyes at us and, you know, this is supposed to be a sports podcast. Um, yeah. That, that differentiation is gone now because what we need to realize, and if you haven't realized yet, you know, maybe I can kind of convince you is that these players are not just football players. They're human beings. They are black men and white men and, and everything in between. And they are absolutely very strongly emotionally impacted by this. So for you to want them to differentiate between being black and being a football player, that is impossible. So that is why these things are crossing over now. And for the organization to back their human beings that are on their team is such an awesome, awesome job by this organization. And I'm really proud to be a Ravens fan right now. I echo everything you just said. I mean, it never have I been prouder than this moment. You know, I, I, you know, I'm sitting here as a, white male privileged guy you know and i'm very much for the black lives ladder matter movement and everything it stands for as far as social justice and police reform and everything and it's just amazing of course you think about just the year that this has been in 2020 and the just the craziness of everything and the change that's obviously happening in the world and the social change that, that let's face it has to happen. And it's, it's a profound time to not just be a sports fan, but to, to be living in America and, and in some cases the world, but it's a, uh, it's a profound time. And, and I'll be honest, if, if someone's listening to this podcast and they don't, they're not proud to be a Ravens fan, then I don't want you to listen to this podcast. I'll be frank. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're in that boat, um, 
go ahead and unsubscribe. Leave us a one-star review. We don't really care because you know, <laughs> Black Lives Matter. Absolutely. They always have and they always will. And, uh, you know, that's where we land on this. And, um, you know, we'll do what we can to spread that message to our listeners. Um, and if you're a listener that doesn't agree, then, you know, feel free to start a conversation with us um, if you are open to that conversation. But, yeah, um, I, we're all we're, positive discourse is never, you know, discouraged. But if you're going to just be an idiot, we're not going to suffer fools. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, really. Uh, the, the other stuff that we're that we're going to talk about on this podcast just doesn't seem as serious anymore. Um, but absolutely, and it almost you know, seemed like you know switching gears and trying to segue here. You know, yeah, it was going to be sort of a you know serious start to the podcast with all the Earl mm-hmm. Thomas you know news that suddenly comes out as we're preparing for our first you know podcast of the 2020 season of craziness. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it's been an interesting few months since the draft. How about it, TK? Ooh, yeah, we, we haven't <laughs> covered quite a bit um, in, in our podcast here, so we got a lot to do. Uh, we, I think the last time we talked was our review of the draft, and we talked about some potential free agents and things like that. But, uh, yeah, it's been a long time since we've been on the airwaves. Maybe let's just first – Holly, how are you doing, man? What's going on? You know, it, it, I am, I am, hey, I, I'm gainfully employed still in these crazy times of 2020. Um, you know, I'm dealing with the wonderful uh, adventures of owning a home and and all the uh, ridiculous things you have to deal with, like uh, leaks and repointing brick and finding out that the new roof you purchased a year ago was absolutely destroyed by the solar panel install that happened shortly after that. So you need a brand new roof, you know, that kind of stuff. So, you know, I, I'm going to tell people out there, young people of America, I know that I'm saying this in in strange times and you might be telling me I wouldn't be, I'd be buying a house anyway, but don't, necessarily feel like you have to go out there and buy a house because you <laughs> got to be an adult because you might end up in a situation that's a money pit situation. So that's kind of my frame of mind right now, TK. But I will say otherwise, you know, I really can't complain. These are very much first world problems. I do have a home. There's electricity mm-hmm. and air conditioning. And, you know, aside from some leaks, you know, I'm doing okay. How about you? Yeah, I hear you, man. It's it's a time of uh, perspective. Um, I, I'm I'm also luckily still employed. Um, I was able to get married in July, which is uh, you know something that we had to unfortunately delay from the end of March. Um, so that's that's been good. I um, moved in with my fiance. We're moving to a bigger place next week so dealing with the move but wonderful what man things could be a lot worse for me um of course of course a lot of um strange things happening around us Uh, a couple few few tough months here in new york city but 
you know, sure. New York tough where the city's city's rebounding slowly and uh you know everything is everything is all good by me but um speaking of rebound i don't know how to segue into earl thomas well, earl thomas also, happened much, much congratulations by the <laughs> way you. i mean thank you uh, obviously let's, <laughs> let's say that first off before we go into the just craziness of earl thomas so i mean yeah. let, let's preface this conversation with you know, last year, certainly Earl Thomas made the Pro Bowl. I wouldn't say it was what we necessarily expected out of Earl Thomas. Taking all of this whole situation that has happened since aside, I think that's a fair statement. Would you agree? Yeah, I would. I mean, he was he was a good player for us last year. He wasn't um, the ball hawk Earl Thomas. Mm-hmm. Uh, that maybe we expected. And I guess, you know, coming off of a fairly serious leg injury, maybe we should have, you know, anticipated, um, you know, him taking a little bit of sure. time to warm up. And, you know, he really did get a lot better as the season went on. He and did. When was a lot more aggressive. Titans game aside. Like that. But, well, yeah. But, but yeah. yeah. Right, you, you can could say, say that, that about a lot of guys. team, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. But you know he started slow. He, I mean, he had the. I mean, he started really fast. Actually, he had the uh, interception in the in the Dolphins game, and then it kind of slowed down, and it really started to play a little bit better. But I think the name maybe outweighed the performance, and you know that's not again. Like I said, I think he played really well. The Pro Bowl selection. Yeah. I think that was a ceremonial. Oh, gee, we've got a safety spot to fill. And it ends up being Earl Thomas because the Ravens were so good. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he was he was a good player. He wasn't the superstar that we were looking no. for or that, that we thought we were getting maybe. But still, I mean, the range that he had changed several games for us. Sure. Um, I mean, with all that said, I mean, I kind of sounded a bit negative on him there. I mean, he was a very good player for us last year. And, yeah. you know, it was it was a big part of that defense and, and, and the team that we had. So I, I, I don't want to sound too overly negative on his performance. Yeah. Now, now that with all that said, there were rumblings of, of little issues here and there with Earl Thomas. You would hear things occasionally like guys like Mike Preston would throw out the like mercurial Earl Thomas or you know whatever you know throw out throw out these little nuggets of uh commentary within their pieces to make you think that he wasn't necessarily a you know still adjusting to the team let's put it that way you know there was a blow up with uh with Brandon Williams when he sat you know didn't play once because he was injured and for some reason Earl Thomas didn't understand he was injured and they sort of hot at it in the trainer's room after a game. I, you know, it's, there were definitely some eyebrow raising moments, but certainly not to the level that it got just a few, a few weeks. Has it even been a week at this point? No, I don't think so. No, about a week ago today. Yeah. And honestly, there's two things, you know, winning cures a lot, um, sure. you know, going 14 and two kind of helps, you know, you yeah. get over some things. And I think it's another thing about the Ravens organization and that's which like this didn't leak sooner. 
And, you know, since the release of Earl Thomas, there's been a lot written about, you know, he never really fit in with the defensive leaders. He never really uh, helped out the younger players. You know, he never really fit in and all this kind of stuff. And never, never really, I mean, outside of the rebelings that you just mentioned, it never really became a story. And, no. uh, you know, a player of Earl, um, of Earl Thomas's caliber and of his, you know, stature in the league, you would think that like, oh, Earl Thomas isn't fitting in on a 14-0 and team, you know, would raise some flags in the media. But, you know, credit to the Ravens organization for, you know, not having that happen. Um, it is interesting after all this uh, to see um, to, and, and to, to I, I mean, to read that, you know, he didn't really fit in. And uh, now looking back and, and having that confirmation bias in mind, you're just like, huh, maybe, yeah, maybe this makes a little bit of sense as, mm-hmm. you know, he was never really in in on all those like defensive pictures that they would take. And yeah, you know, and, you, know you, you, you start to see little things like that. And well, I mean, it's tough because, well, you know, you know obviously still a very, very talented player, you know, absolutely. even at his age. Um, so it's going to be a blow to this defense for sure. It, it will be, I think, you know, the, the other end of the puzzle, um, and actually, just what I was going to say, actually, when, when you were talking about, you know, him not being in the pictures and stuff, you know, it's, it's such a shame because you think about the that emotional win over Seattle, you know, what should have yeah. been that moment that he bonded. Because I think the team was fired up for Earl Thomas. Like, people, mm-hmm. even though this guy had apparently been kind of a dick to everybody, you know, they yeah. were all, like, really fired up for Earl Thomas. And, yep. you know, you find out later that he just continued to be not a team guy in any way, shape or form. That's definitely disappointing, you know, to say the least. You know, I'm, I'm one of my very best friends is a Seahawks fan. Mm-hmm. And we've, we've been obviously, you know, talking about the situation. And he's he's as shocked as anyone that he fell off as quickly as he has as far as this whole seemingly curmudgeon persona however you want to mm-hmm. you know describe it and and he, he's kind of shocked you know and uh, it's just a shame you know for a guy that was that is a hall of fame level player to now have that stigma you know i mean hopefully for earl thomas i you know it's weird certain situations like this will happen and you'll be very anti-earl thomas not that not that i'm like pro world thomas necessarily but i don't really have anything against him in this situation you know i i will say that he at least wished us well on the way out i know that yeah. sounds yeah. stupid but with all of the crazy instagram messages he was putting out over the course of the the whole situation with showing the fight and including the whole freaking play and formation and all that oh, stuff like dude you know, yeah. I anticipated there to be a meltdown. So I'll at least appreciate the fact he had the wherewithal to give his Twitter handle over to his representatives for at least a few hours. Um, yeah. <laughs> but but anyway, we, I, I'm not sure where I was truly going there. But I will say that another angle to this is the Chuck Clark angle. Because obviously, you know, we, I, I, I neglected to say, you know, we neglected to say what actually happened. Of course, Earl Thomas has a fight 
gets into a fight with Chuck Clark on the field. Earl Thomas misses an assignment. Chuck Clark is rightfully ticked off, and they go to blows. Chuck Clark has to be pulled off the field. They send Earl Thomas home, and here we are. Earl Thomas has now been released by the Ravens. You know, I think Chuck Clark, of course, of course the fact we know now, he's such a leader. But think about the safety transition that happened last year. Mm-hmm. Over the course of the season, you know, we've got Tony Jefferson and Earl Thomas, who we think we've got these two stud safeties. Tony Jefferson gets hurt. Then we're like, oh, yeah, Deshaun Elliott's bad. Let's do this. He gets hurt right away. Suddenly, Chuck Clark, who's like the fifth option, is the guy that ends up starting all the time and is amazing. And we give him a new contract and keep this guy around. And, you know, all the the factors of, you know, growing up as a Raven, knowing the defense inside and out, playing as well as he did. You know, I think even Earl Thomas was quoted as saying last training camp, why'd you guys even bring me here? After seeing Chuck Clark play. So, which is interesting when you look back on it now. But, (laughs) yeah, you know, you you think about his standing, you think about his standing with the team now and how much more even that has been elevated since Earl Thomas came in. And now for Earl Thomas to have, you know, thrown a punch. And for the entire team to be like, you're done. That's pretty amazing for Chuck Clark. I mean, that says a lot for Chuck Clark. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, sprinkle in there being late to meetings and skipping meetings and things like oh, that. Absolutely. I mean, that's going to it's going to get on some guys nerves. And, yeah, no you know, <laughs> looking at looking at uh, social media and things like that, I think the players were, yeah, I don't want to say eager, but they were very quick to move on. And, and yeah, nobody their... was sad to see him go. I don't think there was yeah, anyone sad yeah. to see him go. It's not like there was that corner of the room. It was the Earl Thomas posse or whatever. You know, it there wasn't that. He was a loner in that locker room. Yeah, you know, some some posts immediately supporting Deshaun Elliott, and um, maybe maybe we'll segue into our our second topic here, which is which is going to cover some some new maybe rookies and other inexperienced players on the defense that are going to have to take on bigger roles. And, you know, we mentioned Deshaun Elliott here, who's being slotted into Earl Thomas's spot. And, you know, between his first two preseasons and training camps and what we're seeing now and the support from uh, his fellow teammates and coaches, you know, Deshaun Elliott's a good player. Um, At this point, I don't think he's Earl Thomas. So I think, in yeah. my mind, I am tempering my expectations, Big but time. you know, there's there's going to be a drop off there. Uh, Deshaun Elliott doesn't seem to have the range that Earl Thomas does, um, so that's going to be a, a little bit of a blow. But you know, the kid's a playmaker. He he's always made plays in a Ravens uniform. You know, in, in preseason, he's just got to stay healthy, and and that's yeah. kind of been his gambit. But you know, the, he's he's very capable of coming in and being a major cog on the defense, I do believe. You know, it's funny. I, I, I'm really not concerned if he's, if he's on the field. I, not that I think he's going to be a Pro Bowl level safety, but I, if he's on the field, I feel like he can be good enough. Mm-hmm. 
but that if he can be on a on the field is such a profound statement to say about Sean <laughs> Elliott that I, it's that's that's scary to me. I mean, I really, I really, I want to give this kid a shot. I want him to play, but I'm a little concerned that Geno Stone might be our starter by week four. Um, yeah, and as that's much another as name I to like keep an eye Geno on. Stone, I know I, as much as I do like Geno Stone and I like Anthony Levine, who more likely would probably be the starter, but as much as I like those two players and I like Deshaun Elliott. I might like a little bit more security there at the back end of the defense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there were some talk earlier this summer about like, is Deshaun Elliott going to get cut if he can't stay healthy? Mm-hmm. And now he's in a starting role and everybody <laughs> now he's wants him to starter. be better than Earl Thomas. And, yeah. uh, you know, that's, that's quite a swing <laughs> in perception yeah. there. But um, now the other thing to factor in here too, that we're not talking about is the health of Tavon Young and the fact that we still have um, Jimmy Smith. I mean, yes. so, you know, it's very possible that Jimmy Smith turns into sort of a hybrid outside corner free safety person. You know, yeah, and probably Brandon more Carlo. outside corner, but, you know, sort of a hybrid way to, mm-hmm. it. you know, for his size, depending on who's on the field, all that kind of stuff, maybe covering some more tight ends. So, you know, that, that's the other factor in here. As long as Jimmy Smith and Tavon Young, which, again, is another pro- profound statement to have to say if they stay on the field at this uh-huh. point. But, you know, though, it, it, if they are healthy, you know, they could be saying, and you know what? And here we are again, by the way. How often have we had these conversations of how deep is our secondary and how quickly that can change? And the the blink of an eye, you know, I mean, it really is amazing to feel to feel on one hand. Oh, yeah, we can cut uh, cut car. We don't have to worry about that or, you know, whatever. We're good. And now you're kind of like, he might not be terrible to have back either. Hmm. So I don't know. How do you feel about the rest of our secondary? Look, I still feel really good about it. from what I've from what I've read from Jimmy Smith, obviously going to be you know some some positive spin on it from the you know Ravens media and our, our beat reporters, but Jimmy Smith is is really having me in a good place here because not only is he playing that kind of hybrid role that you talked about, um, like a Brandon Carr did last year with a little bit of corner and free safety. You know, he is, like you said, playing a lot of man-to-man on the tight ends. And Mark Andrews even said that, like, Jimmy Smith is really good at defending tight ends. So, you know, one of the biggest mismatches that teams always see when you have a good tight end is, you know, do you put a small safety on him or do you just put a slow linebacker on him? Now we have, like, a pretty big corner that we can put on tight ends. Uh, in man-to-man if we want. So, you know, when we come in, when when uh, Kansas City mm-hmm. lines it up, you know, there's we have Jimmy Smith there and Tavon Young there, you know, to, to throw at Travis Kelsey and, and yeah. David Njoku and, and all these guys that, that are in the division uh, that are good. Eric Ebron, I believe, signed with the 
Yeah, with the Steelers, Steelers you know, another t- talented tight end. So, you know, that that all of a sudden that huge mis- mismatch disparity, you know, with a guy like Jimmy Smith is is kind of nullified. You know, we have a really good defender there that can match up pretty well. Uh, and if I correct me if I'm wrong, but in those like playoff games and, and regular season games against the, the Patriots a while ago, did Jimmy Smith uh, go man to man on Gronk? Am I remembering that wrong? I don't I don't recall off the top of my head, I'll be honest with you, but it wouldn't surprise okay. me because like you said, he's a big corner that can do that. Yeah, I, I feel like at least on some key plays, that was the matchup that the Ravens defense went with. And you know, so so he has some ability to move around the field and, you know, play in different spots. Um so I, I'm really encouraged by that. Um I haven't read as much about Geno Stone, so I, that that free safety I'm, depth. I, I saw a couple. I believe I saw a couple blurbs about him, you know, last weekend when you know obviously the Earl Thomas news was was breaking, and it obviously he was a winner, mm-hmm. but it mentioned you know it was one of those winners and losers of the Earl Thomas situation, or you know something like that, and. You know, if I recall correctly, it was a nice blurb. It wasn't anything like, oh, my God, this guy is going to be a superstar. But it just continued the solid, you know, solid reviews of his play. And he seems to be looking pretty good. Okay, Um, well, that's good. That makes me feel better. Um, So, look, I mean, there's there's going to be other safeties out there. I think, you know, a name that's been thrown around a little bit is Logan Ryan. Um, I think he's mostly like a slot corner that has some free safety snaps yeah, under his belt. Yeah, he's apparently trying to market himself now as, as a hybrid corner safety type player. So that could be a name to keep keep an eye on depending on how uh, the rest of training camp uh, goes down. But but like you said, you know, we, and we had this conversation um, maybe a few days ago about Brandon Carr. It could be possible that, you know, He's he still played really well last year, and it's surprising that you know no other team has given him a lucrative enough offer to you know join their roster. It wouldn't surprise me if he kind of had some kind of agreement with the Ravens to say like, look, man, I've been around a long time. I don't want to deal with training camp. Just bring me in in the season if you need it. And exactly, uh, you know, he, he I still want to well. get a ring. Right. See where you guys are at the end of training camp. You have some injuries. Call me. Right, right. And that could very well happen. And then all of a sudden, you know, you have, what would that be? Six returning corners, you know, the sixth maybe being Anthony Averett and who also he's been as bad. Yeah. He's had some positive reviews. I think, I think even today, as I was reading through some of the, the practice reports, I I believe he might even have had a, a good practice today. Uh, as uh, we were not as we record this, but prior to us recording today, so uh, you know, I mean, I can't discount him. I'm not in love with Anthony Avery by any stretch, but I'm not. I don't hate him either. I mean, I think he could be a good young corner. Yeah, I mean, for him to be the fifth corner on the roster, absolutely, is is pretty solid. I think a lot of teams, you know, he would he's be a the number backup three. slot. He's the you know slot man, basically. right? So yeah, so. <laughs> I mean, that's that's pretty good. Um, you know, I still feel really good about the secondary. I mean, the corners are, you know, they're so good that they will take pressure off of no matter who the safeties are. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm still feeling pretty good about that spot. You know, there are a lot of other 
defensive guys who are either rookies or going to get a lot more. Yeah, let's snaps. move on down and, to um, those linebackers, baby. Yeah, let's move on so down to those linebackers. Bring it down to the second level. Mr. Patrick Queen, the number one pick for the Ravens this year. Positive reviews on him, too, so far. Yes, sir. A lot to live up to with Ray Lewis and C.J. Mosley. But I think he is probably going to be as good as advertised. I, I think so. I mean, he is. He seems, you know, it's very rare. It's interesting with the in the Harbaugh era, you know, a lot of the early picks don't necessarily, it's not a guarantee that you're going to start. That said, it certainly seems like Patrick Queen is going to be one of those guys that may just start. Uh, from day one at that middle linebacker spot. And then, of course, my guy, Malik Harrison, mm-hmm. he had a big day today. He had, I think, a pick and a couple monster tackles, I think a sack in the – or a tackle for a loss in the backfield or something when I was reading the, the uh, practice report. So he's looking strong. Even Chris Board, I know he's not one of the draft picks, but he's still relatively a young player. He was getting rave reviews the other day. Yeah, and he was last year, too, before his concussion. Uh, what did I say? Yes, last year before his concussion. So he's he's a guy that the that the coaching staff likes, too. So I think even the, even the, those middle linebackers, I think Malik Harrison will play outside a little bit. You know, that's that's a very young group, but I think they're all really good players. I do um, have a lot of confidence in Patrick Queen's uh, – brain as in addition to his athleticism you know middle linebacker is a very tough position for rookies to come into in the nfl because there's so much manipulation that uh, quarterbacks can do um but i really i really do trust him quite a bit in that role so it'll be really interesting to see you know week one we don't get to see any preseason games of him again i keep coming back to that yeah, i know he doesn't he doesn't get preseason snaps none um so week one is, is going to be really interesting to see uh, how he settles in around, you know, luckily, a, a very talented defense around him. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I think that the thing that we have to go back to, I think, too, is Chuck Clark. You know, Chuck Clark's wearing the green sticker on his helmet. He's going to be the one making a lot of the defensive calls. You know, so that's at least going to help. We're not going to end up in that situation like we were at the beginning of last year where peanuts trying to make the calls and it just wasn't gonna work um so you know that's that's the nice thing we don't have to put necessarily all that pressure on the rookie to wear the green green dot make those calls on defense so that's that's definitely a big positive you know and don't discount guys like lj fort you know some of the Mm -hmm. other veterans on the on the defense that can you know help show him the way i mean if anything the the ravens typically some of the recent draft picks notwithstanding prior to this year, but typically the Ravens have done a fantastic job with all of their linebackers. So I, I feel pretty strongly that, you know, if, if, especially based off what I said earlier, I mean, if John Harbaugh is saying this kid can start, then he probably can. because he is a very hard coach on his rookies. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And for him to come out and say that is, is pretty rare, like you said, but and I'm glad you brought up LJ Fort because I do think he captures that second starting linebacker spot next to Queen. Um, according to PFF, so take it with whatever grain of salt you want to, uh, LJ Fort was the best pass rushing inside linebacker last year. Hmm. 
So that's interesting. I mean, he, smaller he, and, sample and, size than Mullen. Yeah, but that's still. true. But he he was in the backfield quite a bit. He had a lot of, not a lot, but he had a few really big plays in that Seahawks game that kind of killed drives for the Seahawks. So he has that. that ability. Yeah, and and that was maybe the first time he really popped on the screen. It was like, oh man, like this guy can he yeah. can really play. And then soon mm-hmm. after that, he got the extension. So. Um, I, I think he has a lot of, you know, a, a well, lot to bring to the defense as well. Too, but, and, yeah. but that's also what we like, though, is those special teams guys that grow into the starting role. And, and, and you know, the interesting thing, I mean, as much as we as I love, and I know you like him too, Malik Harrison, you know, he almost seems like that guy that has the veteran in front of him for, you know, half the season, and then he starts sneaking into the, to the starting lineup. Yeah, you hope so, because you see pictures of him next to Patrick Queen, and, and Harrison is a big boy. He, he is, is a big kid. He and, is uh, a beast. And, and he can move, and he can hit, and, uh, you know, you you got to hope that he, he's able to find a way onto the field and yeah. make some plays. Um, Absolutely. You know, because, and hey, you I know, hope he's actually on the field fucking excuse my friends, but week one, I mean, I want him yeah. to be, I, I mean, I, I say that, I mean, I, I just, he just seems more raw than Patrick queen. Um, mm-hmm. But, but we'll see. I mean, shoot, maybe, maybe he ends up becoming the starter. We got two weeks left. And as you said, there are no, there's no preseason games. So shoot, anything can happen. I think it's going to be interesting yeah. to see, and we can continue, you know, this and then later on the show, but you know, whether we're going to be able to get any kind of, uh, undrafted free agents making the squad. Our streak may end this year. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be tough for them. But but the guy that Harrison seems to be behind is Tyus Bowser, who's by all accounts having a really good camp as well. And and I can just see this turning into like a uh, Paul Kruger situation. Yeah. Like, a, like an original Pernell McPhee situation in which contract year they just ball out and they go mm-hmm. cash in somewhere else. And you know what? I would not hate that. You know, after all of the slander on on Tyus Bowser's name after a few years of uh, minimal production for him to go out and just rack up eight nine ten sacks and some quarterback hits and uh, go in and cash a paycheck somewhere else you know I would take that I would I would be really happy for him I but, cannot uh, wait he... for his monster contract with Cleveland next year I let's just say yes. that I, I yeah. say that right now and just as a sidebar speaking of contracts with Cleveland I don't really want him on the Ravens anymore, but God bless Tony Jefferson and his comments about never wanting to play for the Browns. Like that, <laughs> did you see his comment? No, I didn't. Was that today? He said something to effect of, "Hell no, there's no way I'm doing that bleep." Oh man! And I think that's hilarious. If it's Brown, yeah. flush it down. Let's just say that right now. But to your point, I I think that's an that's an amazing thought. And and that's sort of what I was getting at with LJ Fort somewhat in a way is that you've got this younger or this vet who may just step in and take the job for a while, if not the whole season. And we've mm-hmm. got this young guy itching to to step in, but he's just gonna have to wait a little bit because suddenly we have this vet who has stepped up suddenly. Um you know, but you're you're right about Bowser. I would love to see him finally do something. Finally. And this very well could be the year he had, you know, he, he didn't play poorly last year. 
Um, yeah. It still concerns me he could be one of our starting outside linebackers. But, you know, hey, it, it, it is what it is. Hopefully yeah, yeah, he the, does the, exactly what you said and he signs with the Browns for huge money. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the question mark opposite of Judon is, is still there because and then uh, like another guy that we could talk about in this segment is Jalen Ferguson. He yeah. started camp a little bit hurt, um, so he missed a few days, but, um, you know, has all the ability to, to, you know, be an effective edge setter and pass rusher. So, again, you know, this was going to be a really important camp for him to show growth from last year and unfortunately a lot of things changed on him but uh it'll be really interesting to see where he is uh as a player now to, you know to see that growth from year one to year two and to see if he can take on um several more snaps than he had to last year um but yeah you know i agree with you and and, and now i'm gonna preface this next statement i make with Look, I'm 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 certainly not any sort of physical specimen, so my eyes should not be looking at someone's body and and really making any kind of uh you know determination of their physical prowess. But I will say that when you're watching, I don't know for those out there that haven't seen it over the course of the day, the Ravens have been broadcasting on their YouTube channel there, and I, I'm sure it's on their website and everywhere else. But they'll have their uh, live coverage of the draft of the of training camp rather, and you know they'll they'll focus. They can only show so much because obviously you know they're running plays and things that they don't want to show the public. But you know the the times they start focusing in on various groups of people and they're focusing in on the linebackers and the defensive linemen and you're you're looking you know, you're marveling at them. I mean, talk about monsters. Calais Campbell is oh my goodness, ridiculously gracious. big. He's yeah. and, and we can talk about him in a little bit, but my uh-huh. God, he's going to be an amazing addition. And and I'm not even uh-huh. talking about his play on the field. I think just leadership wise, he is off the charts amazing. But you know, looking at Jalen Ferguson in comparison to the guys he's standing next to, like Tyus Bowser and some of these other. Some of the rookie, you know, or like like the undrafted rookie kind of players who weren't really anything. But you're looking at the, the conditioning and, you know, Jalen Ferguson standing there. He's got kind of his gut hanging out a little <laughs> bit, you know. And look, I mean, he is probably one of those guys that's a big dude that can move and all that stuff. But it didn't really instill confidence that he came to training camp in optimal shape. Is that a fair fair thing for me to say, or am I being a jerk? I I can't I can't comment. I don't think I've seen a picture of him yet. I, I saw a quick video okay. as I was scrolling through Twitter, but um, I, I can't confirm. And, and look, I'm seeing somebody out of context. I mean, I and I haven't read anything from the coaches saying they're disappointed in Jalen Ferguson or any of that. So. I'm creating something where there may not be anything, but I will say Ooh. we're talking about him. I do have a little bit of concern there that Sack Daddy may uh, may need to step away from the Big Mac. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, let's we'll see. I mean, we'll find out in a couple weeks. Um, you know, there's there's going to be a nice rotation on that side opposite of Judon, and uh, you know, hopefully. Not a not a spot in which somebody needs to play like seventy snaps a game with yeah. with that rotation because I think they're all talented guys and 
you know, everybody can get like 20, 20, you know, 15 snaps here and there uh, because there is quite a bit of depth still left on that defensive line. And let's move there because you just mentioned Calais Campbell. What a beast, man. Well, he's a giant. He's a giant. Um, right. He Absolutely. like dwarfs Brandon Williams and Brandon Williams is a big man. Yeah. It, it is, it is amazing. He's like head and shoulders above the man. Yeah. It's amazing. I like I, I it, the last person I saw that size was probably like Jonathan Ogden and how yeah. he would like dwarf players. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I don't know if maybe I, and, Orlando uh, Brown or something. Yeah, like Orlando that. Brown, Bryant, Bryant McKinney was a big dude. Um, but yeah, like this, this is like a very stark difference uh, yeah. between Calais Campbell and these other guys. And you started to mention that. You know, his personality and his leadership is, is really, really off the charts. And you can see him already, you know, working with some of the young guys, uh, like a guy like Justin Matabuike, who yeah. I have really, really kept my eye on. And, 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 and I'm pretty happy with what I'm reading from him so far. I think he can really be a really nice uh, rotational player there. But, yeah, I mean, Clayus Campbell, Derek Wolf are, are veteran guys that, that have come over. You know, so not necessarily – you know, new to the league, but new to the defense and, and new to the organization. And I think they both seem to have really positive impacts on the defense. Absolutely. Both, both personality-wise well, and, you know, and play-wise, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, you mentioned how much it, it, I think the uh, one of the, the main video I've seen of Calais Campbell in training camp that the Ravens have featured, he's walking around. I'm pretty sure he's got Matabike and, and who's the other young defensive one? Broderick Washington. Yeah, thank you. I was thinking his name was Broderick. Mm-hmm. Broderick Washington. He's got both of them sort of with him, and he's like, you guys need to follow me around, I think. And, and mm-hmm. they just have to do that. I think as rookies, they have been told you need to just follow around Calais Campbell, which is amazing. I mean, yeah. that is – how cool that must be for them, but how, how amazing, hopefully, will it be for Ravens fans to have two young defensive linemen really coached up as well as they can be by Calais Campbell? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think Broderick Washington's got a little bit of different play style than, uh, than Matabuike, and Matabuike is a little bit more similar to Campbell in which he's able to get some interior rush going. But, um, yeah, Calais Campbell's going to be awesome. You know, Walter Baden, Man of the Year Award winner. And, uh, you know, Brandon Carr was the runner-up last year. But to, to have another guy like that immediately yeah. uh, succeed Brandon Carr on the defense and on the team is a really good influence to have around. And I don't know if there's another guy that loves his last name more than Derek Wolf. Like, he loves that his name is <laughs> Absolutely. And, and you know what? He also he's made some interesting statements about just really being excited about being in Baltimore and almost kind of like he's finally home. Um, so that's that's kind of exciting to hear. It's cool that, you know, it, it's still funny to me as a Ravens fan that was, you know, in his mid teens when the when the Ravens became a thing. You know, when the, the Brown, it's still interesting to me when, when players are like, oh, yeah, I grew up watching the Ravens and everything else. And that's, it's just kind of cool that, you know, mm-hmm. obviously he, he grew up, he, he watched the 2000 Ravens as a kid and he just knew he loved that defense. And, and that, you know, of course, this could all be poppycock, but, 
you know, that hearing a player say that, you know, about the team that he's joined, that's pretty cool. You know, you get that from teams like the Yankees or, or, you know, the Cowboys or whatever. So it's kind of exciting to see the Ravens, you know, as they are progressing in excellence as a franchise, that they continually are getting players saying, I grew up a Ravens fan. I want to go play there. Yeah, for sure. And it, it speaks to the culture and it goes back to the Earl Thomas issue where they where yeah. it came to the came down to the culture versus the player. And it seems like this particular uh, group of front office and coaching staff is always going to pick the culture. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's burning bright so far. Yeah. Uh, in, in you know, one other camp. point real quick, since you brought up Earl Thomas and, and bringing up Calais Campbell. I, you know, an interesting side that we didn't discuss about Earl Thomas are the salary cap limitations. And, and there's, of course, yeah. going to be a grievance that goes back and forth. The Ravens actually are going to get $6 million in uh, some cap relief for this season. So they may actually get a chance to, to add here or there with some of the free agents that might be out there. But the interesting thing I find about, about this is, is the whole grievance situation because of the fact that the players were so behind the fact that he was released. If, if anything, they were more behind it than even the coaching staff and the organization from everything that, that has come out about the, the situation and the fact that the Ravens leadership council came out mm-hmm. and made that decision. I guarantee you that Calais Campbell is on that leadership council at this point. And with, with a guy of that stature, both within the NFL and with the NFL Players Association, like he is, and, it, you know, whether he's on that council or not, the fact that he's even on the team and they want him gone for contract conduct detrimental, that would seem to me to be something it would be pretty darn hard for the NFLPA to try to back as far as a grievance against that decision. Now, maybe, you know, I mean, maybe, you know, I'm sure they're going to have to do something because they've still got a player to represent. Mm -hmm. But they've also got a full team that appears to have backed the decision, including one of the higher-ups. He might even be the president or whatever. I think he's like the top player. And the NFL Players Association. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure he's up there. Um, so anyway, it's an interesting, interesting thing uh, to note about that whole situation and how that may play out, which obviously salary cap impl- implications beyond the $6 million of relief we get this year, you know, will be the implications of whatever that decision ends up being. Yeah, Calais Campbell is a VP on the Players Association. So, like you said, very high up in the association. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out because very rarely do you see players like against one of their own union members in that way. And, of course, the tax relief uh, – I'm sorry, not the tax relief. The salary cap relief that you mentioned is going to be big for the, for the team as well because – all of a sudden, again, here's some talk about Jadavian Clowney, and he's still available. You know, he was sitting yeah, here two I'm... weeks before week one. Um, 
What do you What do you think? Do you Do you think the Ravens will go after him? I, I you know, somebody I, there's said something about the runners, There's just been so many. You know, there just haven't been enough whispers for me locally yeah. about Jadavian Clowney. You know, there's always like the national guys will say, "Well, and the Ravens have interest," but it, do they really, or are they just trying to connect the dots because we'd like to have another pass rusher? You know, it mm-hmm. almost would seem to me we go after someone, and, and there actually has been some scuttlebutt about you know a guy like Ziggy Ansa. You know, mm-hmm. out there, like somebody who's more of a, you know, uh, lightning in a bottle player than a than a Jadavian Clowney. I don't know. That that's just my take on it. Do you think we're gonna go there? I would. I. I mean, at this point, at first, you know, I was I was against it because I was like, he's gonna command too much of the cap, and that is going to run into whenever we need to extend Lamar and all that kind of stuff. But at this point, his price tag should have come down to a, a place for one year where it could be, it could be worth kicking the tires on it. I don't know. It would be pretty exciting. Uh, that's like the, I guess now we have a, a second major hole that's at free safety, but like that other pass rusher for a long time was our only major hole. And, hey, uh, if they don't yeah, have time you know, to throw, we don't have to worry about having a free safety. That's true, and you know, <laughs> I, I would, that's true. I would look. I would need to look into how Jave and Clowney would even fit into our defensive scheme, yeah. because if it's not a good fit, then uh, you know, maybe that's not. That's the other end of it. I mean, where does yeah. he really play exactly? If not where Judon plays, right, and would right. Judon I mean, be good on the other side? Well, yeah. You know, know, I mean, I'm just that's, trying that's to think. Thing. Like, so in the Texans' offense, typically what? a defensive end and a three, four, right? So mm-hmm. would they play on top of each other or as an outside linebacker or would he, would they play opposite each other? They would, I think they would play opposite. Um, okay. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I haven't looked in a while uh, into the fit there, um, but uh, it's, you know, to me, Maybe worth kicking the tires. The last time, I mean, kind of I, last minute I, went in on a free agent. That's a big name was Earl Thomas. So you will, maybe not. So, <laughs> but that so. said, I mean, Wink Martindale, you know, was able to scheme a, 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 a fourteen and two defense out of basically crap at the linebacker position last year, and and at one point a shambles of the secondary. So you know. I'm sure he can figure out how to make it work if Clowney's a good guy. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, so, look, I mean, I'm glad I'm not the one making these calls. So Absolutely. I'll, I'll just I'll just offer my opinion afterwards. But uh, it's interesting, man. I mean, we're, we're, you know, 55 minutes into this podcast, and we haven't even talked about our unanimous MVP yet, Lamar Jackson. So maybe let's yeah. flip it over to the offense. Uh, Lamar Jackson – hadn't thrown an interception until today uh so you know he's coming off a little groin injury i think they're uber uber careful with him so maybe not even that dinged up um but by by what i've read so far and what i've seen he's looking good he's looking back-to-back mvps do you you think he can do it strong contender he's up there so the one thing you know and and like i you know nothing against joe flacco I love Joe Flacco. He's my guy. But one thing I really like 
that Lamar Jackson has done as a quarterback and as a leader of this team is have his, his, you know, that summer quarterback school, you know, taking away all the COVID safety questions we might have about what they were doing, you know, at the same time, you know, he had all the receivers together, even the rookies. I love that. I mean, Uh you know, you've got a young guy who wants to get better and is doing everything he possibly can to not only build his skills, but build camaraderie with his wide receivers. And, you know, as much as I was just saying, I didn't want to use this as something against Joe Flacco, you know, you got to wonder if he had had a little bit more of stuff like this with some of his younger wide receivers that maybe their rapport would have been better. Now, maybe it wasn't worth it and they just sucked, but, it, it is great to see that and that development that we hope to see happen and the good things we're hearing about that young wide receiver core. Yeah, yeah, a lot of good things about the young wide receiver core. I mean, we've been hearing all off season about Hollywood Brown. He's put on all this muscle. He's, you know, he's healthy. He's running even faster. Um, you know, expecting a big year out of him. You know, obviously Mark Andrews is returning and, you know, he's a big tight end, you know, my guy. So he's going to have a good year. But, Seeing these other young guys, James Prochet, uh, Devin DuVernay, those are the two guys that really um, interest me a little bit. And, uh, you know, which, I mean, there's got to be one that kind of takes uh, control of, like, the rookie wide receiver uh, competition there. Who do you think? Really? Okay. Well, let me put it this way. I think they both make an impact. I think Prochet will be an impact on punt returns and on special teams. I think I really do. Just the fact that I think we're going to have a guy that continues to at least be reliable catching the ball and making plays then thereafter, I think is going to be great just to have that confidence. At least as a fan, he's going to stand out to me for being someone I can trust catching the football. Devin DuVernay, I really have a lot of excitement for him. I mean, as, as fast and as amazing as Hollywood Brown has been looking uh, with all the superlative offseason workouts and everything else, it, there, there's been some cool stuff I've been reading from. Granted, it's been some of the Ravens, you know, website reporters and a few of the other local folks. But they're kind of saying Devin DuVernay is just about as fast as Hollywood. You know, there's really not that much difference. And he's been beating, you know, Humphrey and Peters in practice. Maybe not as much as Hollywood is, but enough to kind of make people raise their eyebrows like, hey, this kid could be pretty darn good. Yeah, and that's why I kind of have my eyes on DuVernay. Uh, Like the speed, like you said, is going to be top notch. Uh, But him coming out of the slot, I have a lot of high hopes for, especially on some of like the in-cutting routes that we know Lamar throws so well already. Um, For him to be matched up in the slot again, against you know maybe some mismatches because of the rest of the the way that we line up on the rest of the offense it, it could be really interesting to see how they deploy DuVernay um James Prochet made a catch maybe last week like diving uh in the middle of the field when he was behind uh the safety and you know there's always so many times where I look at other teams wide receivers and I just think, like, how did he catch that? Like, why don't Ravens receivers do that? And mm-hmm. James Prochet might be that guy who finally, like, makes those types of catches where you're just like, 
that was awesome. Like diving yep. catches, you know, little toe drag catches and things like that. Prochet might be that guy who goes up there and wins those kinds of balls. So maybe he doesn't have um, maybe the catch or the yard numbers that I expect uh, DuVernay to have, but he might have those wow kind of plays uh, yeah. throughout the season. I agree with that. I think they're both going to have their moments, you know, and, and look, maybe neither one will be, you know, offensive rookie of the year. Certainly, I don't, I certainly don't expect Prochet to be that level of a player, at least as, at least as a rookie, you know, DuVernay, hey, you never know, the guy's really talented, but, you know, I think, I think they're both going to have their moments to shine, and I think it's going to be fun to watch, because the reality is this, we'll talk about the running backs in a minute, but, you know, if Lamar can throw the ball as well as we think he can, deep, he really has some options now, because Hollywood mm -hmm. is, is legit. I think we can say that. I think even in the playoff game last year, he was one of the few guys that you can say played his ass off and had actually a pretty good game. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think it's now that he's fully healthy, I think you've got we've, – we've got a number one wide receiver. I'm going to be, be mm -hmm. good enough saying I think we have that in him. So that means when you've got that Pro Bowl tight end, you know, as your number two guy – then you've got all these, <clears throat> excuse me, then you've got all these running backs and, of course, Lamar, who can run, Devin DuVernay on the outside. How often is that man going to be open? Yeah, and then don't forget about Miles Boykin. He's a big True. dude, and he ran a 4-4, four -four, uh, maybe Absolutely. a 4-4-2 four -four or something like that at the combine. Like He can move, too, and you, you, know, you saw it on the deep ball in the Seahawks game to open the game. You know, he can stretch the field in his own right. Yeah, so there's and, a, and let's face it, we didn't mm -hmm. sign Des Bryant because we have Miles Boykin. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, uh, all things, I mean, there's a ton of speed on the, on the, uh, uh, in that wide receiver crew, and we have Willie Sneed who can play in the slot as well. Yeah. You know, he, he, there's, for the first Don't forget time, Chris Moore. When we need that end around, when it counts. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh. That, I mean, yeah, if we, if we there's ever need better yards. Maybe like four yards and a pile of dust off the left off oh. the left tackle. Give me Chris Moore in around. That's what Absolutely. we need. Absolutely. Yeah. But but for the first time, like I, I was just about to say, for the first time, there's some hope on, on this wide receiver core. Yeah, um, there really is. More 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 so than usual. Like maybe more credible hope rather than like. Yeah, um, I mean, let's face uh, it. We're we're still looking at this with purple like, colored glasses. There's no yeah. no question. We're still looking at these players through purple colored glasses. But yeah, I I think for the first time in a long time, like you said, there there are some credible reasons to be excited outside of just Hollywood Brown. So mm -hmm. that that could be fun. Yeah, and, it's not like we're we're, we're not hoping for on them to be the focal point of the offense too. Yes. you know, it's not yes. like. We're getting these young guys and saying, okay, well, we need you to really be a pro bowler this year or we're still going to suck. You know, we, we have so many other parts of the offense right now that we can lead on, including, including Hollywood, hopefully, that, you know, I, I think it, it, it can only be positive. For sure. And, and other parts of the offense, let's get into this running game. Uh, that was record-setting for this Ravens offense last year. 
Obviously, you have Lamar Jackson, who set his own quarterback rushing record. Um, we added J.K. Dobbins to the stable of really talented backs. Um, man, it, it's going to be interesting to see how carries get split up. But uh, it seems like Mark Ingram's still the lead dog there. He's the lead dog. I think he'll be it, – it'll be similar to what I said, I think, about Malik Harrison. I think, I think you know, he's going to be the lead dog for most of the season. But uh-huh. – Holy crap. J.K. Dobbins is a – he could be Offensive Rookie of the Year. Talking about guys that could be offensive, offensive Rookies of the Year, now obviously he will be the starter should that occur. But the highlights, I mean, talking about those so Ravens good. training camp videos, holy crap, the over-the-shoulder catches down the sideline of a, on a, as a running back? Are you kidding me? Jukes and the the burst. I mean, the acceleration. Oh, man. He's got me really excited about what what he can do here. Um, You know, I'm I'm not sure that I'm not sure how much of the option or not the option like the. What's the word I'm trying? eh, Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Whatever. Option. Right. They ran it. Yeah, that they ran at Ohio State with Justin Fields. I think they did a little bit, but maybe not much. But to see the kind of running lanes that Lamar opens up for him mm-hmm. and, you know, his acceleration and his breakaway speed, we might see some long runs from him. You know, last year we saw a lot of running backs get caught from behind. Uh, that doesn't really happen to J.K. Dobbins very often. And we haven't seen him at, at the NFL level yet, for sure. But uh, he has the speed to, to break off some big time runs. And uh, yeah. given the opportunity, I, I think he will. And, and I don't think, you know, given the health of everybody, and obviously this is a weird statement to follow that up with, but should we run into a similar situation that we did last year where Ingram, you know, is hobbling for a playoff game, I feel so much more comfortable having J.K. Dobbins as this explosive backup or vice versa if J.K. Uh-huh. Dobbins becomes the – the starter, and let's say he's hobbled. Well, that's great. We've got Mark Ingram. Let's go. Big trust. Woo, woo. You know, but outside <laughs> of that, you know, I, I just, it's just great. I love depth. And as, you know, Mike Flanagan used to say, there's nothing better than deep depth. And, yeah. you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's fun to see that at such an explosive position. Yeah, and don't forget about Gus Edwards led the league in yards per carry last year. Justice Hill, who's who's uh, I think Justice Hill is injured at the moment, but again, yeah, he appears to be hobbled a little bit. We had what four running backs we tried out apparently the other day. Yeah, so maybe not a great sign for his health, but uh, you know, even if he's able to return, he's another talented guy that returned kicks last year as well. You know, he he too has that home run ability. You know, given given the opportunity and you know in his opportunities limited as they were last year he was still uh, pretty impressive as well so I mean the way that they break down these carries is going to be like a fantasy football nightmare but in uh for, for the Ravens real life offense uh there's going to be so many different looks that they can throw out there you know some two running back looks maybe Man. with Dobbins and Ingram on the field at the same time uh, yeah, it'd be really interesting to see, you know, those two out there with Lamar 
uh, with maybe maybe RJ three or RG three, excuse me, and uh, yeah, really get crazy. Yeah, and then Patrick Ricard thrown in there, and actually, oh, actually, not to interrupt you there, but with Patrick Ricard, um, now that you bring him up, he actually has a little bit of a position switch. Apparently, he will not be playing as much, if any, defense anymore. He's mostly mm. going to be a one-way player now with more time at tight end. So, oh. Patrick Ricard, and let's face it, as a full bowl, a pro bowl fullback, if I can speak English, um, you know, at, at some point, you probably should say maybe we shouldn't play him on defense anymore. Well, yeah, yeah, probably smart. Probably smart, as especially... funny as that whole situation was. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. It w- that was pretty cool, and and rightfully so. Probably let him focus on playing fullback and and tight end, and you know whoever that third tight end is going to be, whether it's Charles Scarf or Eli Wolf. Um, you know, maybe Eli Wolf. Maybe we'll let's talk about some of these undrafted guys now that that are standing out. I think Eli Wolf might be one of them. You know, he's been banged up as well, but. Uh, you know, I think it's going to be really hard for an undrafted guy this year, especially with yeah, the preseason games. Uh, you know, the streak might come to an end this it year. It very well may. I mean, you think about where typically our our uh, our free agents have come from. Usually, it's um, it could be wide receiver. This year, it's fairly deep. It could be offensive line, as I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit. Fairly deep. Um, you know, even with starting positions up in the air, it's still fairly deep. Um, you know, then you look at defensive line again, fairly deep. So the only place I really see for the most part, like you said, certainly tight end is a position and then maybe even quarterback. I mean, is Trace McSorley a lock as our third quarterback? I don't know. This young, this young buck, uh, rookie free agent playing pretty. Yeah. He's playing pretty well right now. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's that's a spot in which um, in which an undrafted guy could make it. I, I've definitely seen Huntley's name a lot more than McSorley's. I don't know if you've noticed the same thing. Yes, but um, you know, with the way that we started this episode, you know, this roster could have three black quarterbacks on it, which mm-hmm. would be, I think, unprecedented. But uh, that could be pretty cool. Um, I think it could be. And you know what? The thing is, though, it's the the nice thing about it is that it's not about that. It's just the fact right. that yeah, exactly. he, he may fit the offense that much better than McSorley did. I mean, because even though McSorley's fairly athletic and all that, you know, if I'm wrong, didn't Huntley and, and Lamar face off in in high school or something and have some epic battle and yeah. Lamar even yeah, lost? You know, yeah, so, yeah. you know, that that's just a fun side note to that. But I mean, I think my understanding is he plays a whole lot more like like a Lamar, you know, running athletic type of quarterback than than even McSorley does, who's a heck of an athlete. So yeah. you know, yeah, to, I mean, if he's just the better fit. He's the better fit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and yeah, like I said, I just happen to be seeing his name a little bit more than McSorley's, which is surprising because McSorley should have a, a couple years of experience on him, but. Tyler Huntley started a lot of games in college, and you know he's yeah. a seasoned guy at the college level. So now um, here's you know, a maybe... question for you: mm-hmm. Did he ever go along to any of the Lamar, uh, Lamar, you know, quarterback school stuff? That's an interesting thought because just because he knows Lamar, I believe he's from Florida, mm-hmm. so he may have been close enough 
to join some of those activities as another quarterback um, to rest Lamar a little bit between throws. Um, it'd be interesting to know if he did go down there because that had to be, if he did, that would have to be a major plus for going to training camp. My God, without having any of the, the, you know, off-season workouts that normal normal rookies have, that's invaluable. Yeah, yeah. For I mean, I, I don't know the answer to that for sure, but it would make sense if he was there. Um, yeah, especially if there were some rookie wide receivers there. Um, you know, he had definitely been, uh, Huntley had definitely been signed at that point. So it would make sense yeah. for him to be around. Absolutely. Uh, and the, podcast the other... listeners out there, I'm sorry we don't know the answer to that, but we'll try to figure that out and, and answer that at a later date. But yeah, anyhow. for sure. The other, the other guy I have my eye on is on the offensive line that we haven't discussed yet is uh, Tristan Colon Castillo. Uh, he's a, I think the highest paid undrafted free agent that the Ravens brought in. Um, he's a center, which, you know, before Matt Skura came back, you know, so fast from his major knee surgery is, um, very, very experienced player. He's a, he's a good player for sure at, at the center position. He, a, a lot of draft experts had him as their like number 10 center in the draft, which is mm-hmm. pretty impressive that the Ravens were able to get him in, uh, in the undrafted period, but he's a guy that could solidify some of that interior offensive line questions that we have. You know, there's a ton of guys uh, fighting for the left guard, center, right guard kind of spots, and there's some rookies in there. There's some vets in there. Who do you see along that front, I guess, with the bookends considered Stanley and Orlando Brown Jr.? Who do you see starting in those middle three spots? Well, I'll tell you, I'm not sure if we can even, you know, say that Stanley and, and Brown are, are definites yet. I mean, they might flip-flop. I'm just kidding. That's ridiculous. <laughs> but, but you know, as far as the other three spots go, I this is where not having, you know, preseason games, I have no idea. I mean, you think about when we were trying to figure out who might start last year, you know, at, at left guard and – we were absolutely wrong. Like the guy that was like our third choice, there's no way this guy's going to play, ended up started every game. starting, but he started every game <laughs> being a pretty darn good player on the offensive line in Bozeman. So, you know, I, I would be surprised if Bozeman was not the left guard, mainly because he played there last year and did such yeah, a good a job. Continuity. Yeah. yeah, I you know, there's no reason to – to change that unless unless for some reason he becomes the center but you know you think about the fact that now I know that you know um Hurst you know had played a bit at center but he was still young last year so I know that I guess that was still um I guess that was still you know something that Bozeman might play but I mean at this point I think Bozeman's pretty much a guard. I mean, you don't really yeah. hear them saying, yeah, he's really going to be in the mix at center. So, I mean, then you've got Hurst and McCary, who, let's face it, McCary played a fantastic center. Um, hey, for Hurst, a, for Hurst are you talking about Powers? Year. Hmm? Hurst, or are you talking about Powers? No, who's, I'm or sorry. The, 
Skura. Skura. I'm I'm sorry. I'm I'm not thinking. I'm I, I mean Skura. I'm saying Hurston. I'm I mean Skura. Um. So I'm I'm an idiot. But I, that's who I mean uh, as in on the offensive Skura. line. So yeah. Skura. Um. So I guess we need to start. Uh, whatever. We'll just continue with this. Hey guys. You know sometimes you say the wrong name and you're not thinking about it. <laughs> but um. I mean Matt Skura. Thank you. But between Skara and McCarry, I feel like you've got a solid center there, you know. And then at right guard, I'll be honest with you, he's elite, he's got some, I think, potential back issues at the moment. But DJ Fluker is our, our right guard. I mean, he he apparently looks pretty amazing, and there doesn't seem to me to be a whole lot of question that he's at least going to start the season if he does remain healthy as the right guard. So how do you see, what do you, how do you see it? I, I guess you see it breaking down a lot different than I do. Um, you know, not necessarily DJ Fluker. You know, we were talking about Calais Campbell as a massive human being. DJ Fluker is somebody who I look at and just, it, it amazes me that he and I are like the same species <laughs> because it just it just like it just can't be that that a he's human is he is that. a mass he's a big boy and he's lost yeah. weight yeah yeah <laughs> like he looks, he looks good he's a, he's smaller than he used to be <laughs> yeah he looks and he looks really good um yeah. you know especially compared to some of the pictures that you saw him in Seattle like he looks really good right now and and unfortunately like you said some slight back issues which are generally not great for offensive no. linemen. Uh, if he can come back from that, I do expect him to win that right guard spot because of, uh, you know, he's just a road grader uh, in the run game. Um, he does have some concerns in in pass protection, but um, I think with, you know, support from a guy like uh, Orlando Brown next to him Absolutely. and then, you know, probably Skura is my guess. You know, Skura, he's going to have some rust, man. You don't. You don't just hop back in after a major no, knee injury and, and get not. back to it. Um, just like we talked about with Earl Thomas earlier, like it doesn't just happen that way. Uh, you know, we saw it with, after Joe Flacco's ACL. You know, it took him a while to be comfortable. It's just not a thing that happens. So there's going to be some rust for Skura early on, and I could even see him not starting early on just to make sure that he's you know 100% ready to go. So. I'm going to guess that week one, it's going to be McCarry at center and, uh, you know, allowing Skura to kind of ease into it a little bit more. Um, and then I do see Bozeman taking that left guard spot, like you said, just because you want some continuity there. And if you have McCarry and Bozeman there, then you have four spots where it's the same offensive lineman that finished the season last year. And, um, that right guard spot, I do think that the veteran presence of Fluker uh, is is really going to give you the best opportunity to to succeed. Now, I do who are your backups, like, man? Because that's 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 I'm just thinking about the rest of the guys we have on the bench right now. So to try, to, how do you keep Colon Castillo? Yeah, I, I mean. Who's your odd man out if he, he ends up being the guy? Let's see. So there's five. I anticipate probably keeping nine linemen, right? So we have five there. So I have Stanley, Bozeman, McCary, Fluker, Orlando Brown Jr. 
And then you keep Skura. I think that one's fairly obvious. Um, so Tyree Phillips. Tyree Phillips, because I think he's got to be the backup tackle, which is, yeah. you know, uh, a little disconcerting um, because, you know, uh, from all of the uh, – I, I watched some video of him and, and the, some things that I read. I'm not uh, particularly confident in his ability to play sure. left tackle at the – at the NFL level. Um, so I'm wondering if that's a situation in which like Orlando Brown Jr. would swing over to the left side. And, I, I think we, you know, I think yeah. you're, you're absolutely right there. I think, I think Brown, you know, whether he'd be perfect for it or not, I think he'd be the best option at left tackle. And I think yeah. he'd be Fluker playing right tackle. Right. So that, um, there's, there's seven. I think you keep powers. And then that breaks it down to either Castillo, uh, Colon Castillo, Ben Bredesen, and then who else am I missing there? There's another. Who else am I missing on this offensive line? I, I think, think you. I think you've named everybody. Okay, then I think it's got to be Bredesen there. I, I yeah, maybe maybe. Yeah, so he beats up Bredesen. Interesting. The guy with the photographic memory, he beats out. No, 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 no. I'm saying Bredesen over. Oh, that you would. So, yeah. So, my my previous statement about uh, the undrafted uh, guy making it on the offensive line is nullified. I think what gives Bredesen the advantage there is a little bit of versatility uh, because I'm I'm not sure they they could view – Colin Castillo is being able to play sure. um, guard, and but then Bredesen also had some statements about like being ready to play tackle as well. So mm-hmm. who knows what that's about? Maybe he was just saying that, but uh, you know I do like his versatility a little bit more for that last spot, and that's a really good group of nine offensive linemen. Agreed. I mean, we definitely have depth at that position. I mean, it's interesting that you know I think we end up. You know, you think about the interesting changes to to the practice squad and how many people can be on the roster and stuff like that with all the pandemic-related stuff they've been doing. Um, so, you know, hopefully that means a guy like Castillo can, in the very least, go to our practice squad. Because, I mean, he's definitely a player that I'd like to see us continue to develop. Um, so, But it, it's, it's interesting to see how much apparent depth the Ravens may have I mean it's mm-hmm. it's one of those situations where you certainly hope now certainly like we like I said earlier with the secondary it only takes one or two things to happen for you to suddenly go oh crap we need somebody but at least as as of this taping it really is a positive development for us yeah yeah like you said earlier you know how deep is your depth yeah nine at least what I think to be NFL quality offensive linemen. That's, I mean, a lot of teams can't throw five out there. Yeah. And it also means we have people to move. You know, it's a Mm -hmm. little weirder this year because without those training camp games, you don't have the tape, you know, to go after certain players. But, you know, maybe we, we do move a guy like McCarry or, or, you know, a guy like, uh, like Bozeman you know, for the right deal if we really feel like we've got a lot of depth elsewhere from from all the players we've just mentioned. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be I don't know if that's likely, but it's, it's possible. Mm-hmm. 
Yep. And then, of course, you got to remember Nick Boyle. Like everybody says, he's like another offensive lineman out on the field. Yeah. And, and Ricard, you know, now. let's be real. Right. Now so, he can actually know. focus on everything and, and uh, absorb being an offensive player. Yeah. So, so you got to wonder, you know, in a situation in which one of the tackles goes down, you know, do they have Boyle in there more often as like a helping in pass protection or, or something like that? Um, to, to adjust for that. So it's something to keep in mind as uh, the tackle depth is, is kind of a concern maybe, but, you know, that's always a concern. That's the hardest position to replace uh, in the middle of a game. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know who else we could add that we wouldn't still have that concern regardless. Right. Right. So that's kind of our that's kind of our overview. I mean, do you have anything else to add here? Um, not really. Before um, we start to we've sign covered off, covered quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, I it's been a been a monster of a podcast today, approaching two hours. Um, you know, we definitely uh, we'll keep it a little bit shorter as we go through. But I think, uh, as everyone can tell, we're both uh, fired up to be actually talking about you know the sports and the Ravens and something other than the craziness of the world. So. You know, it's it's uh, definitely hopefully fun times ahead for us. Yeah, absolutely. We'll be back. You know, we had a lot to cover, like like Holly said, uh, since we hadn't been recording in a while. But we'll be back in a little bit more uh, meat to our discussion as week one rapidly, rapidly approaches. Do you want to sign us off? Well, everybody, it was a heavy start to the podcast today, but. We'll try to take it out with some positivity. And uh, not that that wasn't positive, but, um, you know, stay safe out there, everybody. And uh, go Ravens. Black Lives Matter. Go Ravens.